I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Green Lantern, the animated series, revisited. Welcome to the second instalment of our Green Lantern Revisited duet of shows. In part one, you will find our 2013 podcast on the comics and disastrous Ryan Reynolds movie, along with part two, which is Sharon and my 2022 revisit of that same movie, The Extended Cut, to see if time has been kinder on Hal Jordan's only cinematic showing. And here you will find, in part one, our spoiler-free 2013 discussion on why Green Lantern the Animated Series is just so damn good. And then comes the reason to re-release all of this material as prior context to our full 2023 plot and character discussion with Toby Skeels Jungius, one of our running mates on the DC Animated Universe Marathon of Shows, which began in 2020 and for which we still have two installments left to release, Justice League the Animated Series and Justice League Unlimited. But of all of them, this one for me is the most unsung, the most worthy of rediscovery and awards for outstanding achievement in an animated show. So hyperbole aside, let's journey back to the past for the non-spoilers introduction. Transmission from Oa, Guardian Appa Ali Apsa. Well, after what he did to Ganthet, let it go to voicemail or something. I don't feel like talking to that backstabbing blue munchkin pain in the. <coughs> yes, communication with you, 2814, is equally unpleasant. However, the Guardians have need of you. We have deciphered more of the Red Lantern plans you obtained from Shard. The invasion will begin sooner than expected. Atrostus plans to enter Guardian space using the Lighthouse. The what now? The lighthouse was created millions of years ago by a lost civilization as a way to travel through the maelstrom, the asteroid barrier separating the Forgotten Zone from Guardian Space. When those ancients vanished, the secret of the lighthouse was lost, sealing it for countless millennia. Some years ago, a Green Lantern archaeologist named Tavarus made the long trek to the frontier in hopes of finding the secret code that would activate the long dormant lighthouse. Unfortunately, he disappeared without a trace. And you're telling us this why? The Red Lantern Armada is headed full speed for the gate. We believe Atrocitus may already have the code. If his armada crosses the Maelstrom into Owen's space, they will destroy everything in their path. Your job, Green Lanterns, is to get to the lighthouse first and destroy it by any means necessary. In 2012, less than a year after the movie emerged, godfather of the DC animated universe, Bruce Timm, producer, artist, and showrunner on Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, and the Justice League animated series, in conjunction with Giancarlo Volt, veteran of King of the Hill and Avatar The Last Airbender, created Green Lantern the animated series. On casual inspection, fans of the above shows might find themselves rejecting it out of hand. 
I did. It has a 3D CG animation style resplendent of the Clone Wars, Transformers Prime, the Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Beware the Batman. There is a stigma, particularly among 30-somethings, that cell animation is the genuine article, and three-dimensional CG is a somewhat faddy new pretender. Same as the notion that practical effects in movies are obviously better than CG. I would ask you, if you are prey to this viewpoint, to look beyond that initial gut reaction. Try to see through the animation and observe that Hal himself is shaped and scaled perfectly to fit in with the Justice League Unlimited universe, with the same broad chest, strong arms, tiny waist, and slender legs. And we're just getting his adventures with a different style of animation, and one that in fact brings his story to life in a vibrant and exciting way that at times is even more detailed nuanced and emotionally powerful than any of the classic animated series that I mentioned above. Bruce Lowry of Variety said it better than I, that this sleek, bold, stylized world actually most closely resembles that of the Incredibles. Now if that isn't enough, consider this. In setting the bulk of the 26 episodes in deep space, Tim and co. cleverly avoid the uncanny valley effect of having to replicate Earth and its people time and again. The focus is on a small group of misfits, none of whom get along swimmingly on initial meeting, all of whom grow closer over time. Hal travels into an unknown corner of the universe with Green Lantern Kilowog in a test model spacecraft, the Interceptor, with an onboard AI that frightens the Guardians because of its proclivity for curiosity and capacity to learn. Hal and Kilowog capture a rogue Red Lantern who has already begun to show signs of great internal conflict, and their first order of business is to prevent a massive invasion from the Red Lantern fleet of their planet Oa. Oa, as I said, is the Citadel, with its intermingled species from many worlds, all trying to get along for a common cause. The Guardians of the Council, Hal is Shepard, Killerwog is Rex, the computer Aya is Edie, Red Lantern Razor is Anakin Skywalker, but this time done right. Yeah. They are lost in their damaged Normandy-style spacecraft, too far out to be retrieved, and with repair taking time and resources they may not have. Aya, please estimate time for repairs. Calculating. Ultra warp ready in 9.2... Nine minutes. No problem. 9.21 months. Okay. Can we form a construct and replace the defective part for the ride home? The construct would have to be an exact copy of the ultra warp coil mechanism and its 56 moving parts to within a 0.8162 micron tolerance. Can either of you do that? I make hammers. The race is then on to get back home and prepare the planet for invasion, stopping off at planet after planet and having to make difficult moral decisions with the people they meet. And that's just the first half of the season. I do not mince words. I know my audience and your impeccable taste. Engage with this and you will find a show you love. You'll also find a show that was cancelled after its epic, heart-wrenching conclusion. That's just the conclusion to season one with plenty more gas in the tank. This was due to the toys from the shitty movie, then released two years prior, not selling enough. There were no animated series toy lines, although once you see it, you may wish there were, if only because they would have sold well. And they would have looked just like what the show has on the screen. Totally. It would have been perfect. If I'm entirely honest, the starting point for any of you guys will be nowhere near the live-action movie or even the comics. They just can't sum up the best that this concept can reach in short enough order to win you guys over. 
My suggestion would be that you abandon the idea of Green Lantern being a caped superhero like Superman. Forget about the Earth and instead embrace Hal Jordan as DC's Commander Shepard, exploring the vast reaches of space. My prediction is that, much like Avatar, it will win you over very soon with likeable, engaging characters and stories that don't go the way you'd expect. The depth and texture and heartfelt emotion on the small scale, as well as the ideas laid down in the epic side, many of them seriously at odds with the child audience, will build a number of climaxes that leave you breathless and praying for the safety of the ones you've come to love. The finale left me and Sharon in a similar state to the closeout of both Mass Effect and Avatar. It is the greatest discovery of 2013 for me, and I pass it on to you guys now in the hope that even a fraction of you eventually feel the way that we do. The reason why I didn't watch this sooner <laughs> is because I was watching Young Justice, yeah. really enjoyed it, and it got cancelled. Then I learned that Green Lantern was running alongside it and made by the state. It was in DC Nation and got yeah. cancelled. And I knew I'd end up feeling this way if it turned out to be this good. <laughs> there were going to so. be people out there feeling like that as well, going, well, there's no point in me picking it up. I don't want to feel this bad. <laughs> exactly. It's like... It's worth it. It's like that thing about better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. I mean, I know Men in Black where uh, Kay says very dryly, try it. But this really is something that, that we... Uh, the other thing is, unlike Firefly, it doesn't just end on an ellipsis. It ends nope. on an ending. It has a proper ending yep. that most animated series would be incredibly proud to call exactly. the absolute final climax. And it ends on a... Huh, it ends on a note of hope. It, it leaves you, you know, desperately wanting more, but being happy that there were 26 episodes of this. It's a really well-plotted series. The, the the backstory behind it is... I say, it's, it's not just completely laid out. Like, the, the movie basically goes, right, here you go, have some lore. Boom! And it just puts it straight in front of you and goes, this is everything about the Green Lantern <laughs> lore. Here you are. Digest this. Um, and here's a, a whirly cloud to... to look at while you're doing it it doesn't do that it goes right this is the law but it gives you some of it but it doesn't just go right this is everything it goes right this is this and this is this and, this. and it gives you a bit of room to have a think about it and, and sort of you know use your imagination a little bit without bombarding you with f- just facts it doesn't just sort of go here's a wikipedia page read this this is the deal mm-hmm. um and the other thing I, I i liked about it was the fact that it doesn't it didn't have any kind of origin story. It just it starts, you know, it, with uh, Hal Jordan as a you know an established member of the Green Lantern Corps. So you don't have you know four or five, you know, the first four or five episodes basically given over to just explaining how all of that happened. Some of it's there, but it's it's you know it's done you know like flashbacks or it's just hinted at. It's or whatever. not ham-handed. It's not just fed to you. It's exactly yeah it's, over it's time. Not, yeah, it's not his. You know, it's not exposition. This is you know the story so far or anything. It just starts, and then you 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 know if you know nothing about the Green Lantern, you will learn over the first couple of episodes a bit about the Green Lantern Corps. But there's good stories to to keep you entertained while you do that. So it's uh, it, it I guess it's it's treating the, the viewer with a little bit of accrediting them with a little bit of intelligence, treating them with a little bit of respect that they can <laughs> work out some of this stuff, <laughs> which Hollywood which, would never do. Well, no, they, they clearly didn't in the Green Lantern film because they went right. Here's a here's a Wikipedia page. Boom, read this. <laughs> and it, yeah, that that's the exact opposite. That was ham-fisted and that was just hurling you know just facts at you and, and crediting 
the, the viewer with no intelligence whatsoever. So, But also the average viewer will ask, well, why should I care about this? I've had to absorb no, any number of, of crappy made-up, uh, you know, lore stories from all the fantasy I've ever watched. Why should I suddenly care about this? Give me characters to care about. Yeah. Well, mm. and, and there are some great characters. I mean, you've got... <laughs> In, in everything I've, I've seen and read, I've had a few issues with Kilowog. In the comics, I've not reread really that much of him. In the comics, he comes across a little bit better. But in uh, in the various animated shows and the, the Greenlander movie, he just basically comes across as a just a big bloke who hits things with with hammers. That's basically what he's just punches things. He's kind of like a, a non angry Hulk almost. And I don't think it was too bad. It was a little bit of comic relief in this, but I think it was handled fairly well. There's a few, there's a few bits that uh, well, I was, you know, didn't really quite sit that well for me. However, because it's not just him and Hal, you've got Razor there as well, and Razor's character is just absolutely brilliantly done. Uh, and and so the three of them together, you've got three very different personalities, and it, it gels together incredibly well as a team. Um, and, and the, yeah, the, you've got good characters, which makes you want to just keep watching. And then you get you sort of absorb the uh, the the backstory and the lore and the, the greater um, Green Lantern core mythos as you go, which is exactly how it should be done. Razor is the uh, rogue Red Lantern, and uh, the Indeed. moment you meet him in the first episode, he's just been responsible for blowing up an entire planet, and he wants Hal to kill him so that he can atone for his sins. And Hal refuses and basically says, no, you're going to make this right. So he is a character with an arc. He has 26 episodes of change to, to, to go through. So it's... Unlike Hal, I mean, basically, Hal's there to sort of be the the core character that we all, you know, all can you know relate to and and, and is fun and you know has some decent standard morals and, and can actually reflect humanity uh, on the rest of the galaxy. But he's not the one who changes over this time. Razor does, and uh, without going into too much detail. Aya, the onboard AI, becomes an incredibly important character throughout the uh, uh, series. And they're two. They're the two original characters. Yeah, that they, they have not so- made action figures of because they're original to this series. So we can't yeah. buy them. We can buy mm-hmm. Burger King toys, but that's it. Personally, oh, but by the way, they made three Hell Jordans, one Kilowog, one Razor, no Aya, because boys don't like playing with girls. I'm face palming <laughs> as we speak. Three Hell Jordans with three different powers. Pointless. Personally. I hope it becomes a Harley Quinn thing where they get introduced into the... Oh, how sweet would that be? Exactly. Yeah, I would love because basically then you could effectively continue this story in, you know, in some form by seeing what then would happen after the series without going into too much detail. What I liked about Razor is, is being a Red Lantern. Obviously, his his powers come from anger, mm. but part of his character growth kind of changes that and he is no longer he's no longer harnessing anger in the same way and I found it quite interesting to see how someone could go could still you you know he's still very angry character but instead of being angry at everything else he's angry at himself and he's kind of and I just like the fact that he's he's always conflicted about everything he's trying to do the right thing but he's just constantly angry uh, and so he, 
you know, initially it kind of looked like it was just basically go rah, and smash things with a big red hammer as opposed to Killer going rah, and hitting things with a big green hammer and I like the fact that they got away they started getting away with that very quickly and having his uh, his inner character the, you know, the the person he would have been had he not had you know, had the, the events not happened to him they did to, to turn him out so angry that character starts to come through I just I found it fascinating that, that you can have two uh, seemingly opposing forces the, the Red Lanterns and the Green Lanterns basically enemies uh, a lot of the time working together but still using you know still doing things their own way I thought it was uh, uh, very interesting because you could have easily just had Tomar Ray or, or Kamatui or whoever as a third Green Lantern they could have easily done that and I'm, I'm really glad they mm. did rather pointedly at the beginning his constructs all sort of um, very chaotic and sort of the just sort of almost formless and he's hitting people with raw emotion they become more formed as he develops as a character while we're talking about this I'm noticing some pretty cool parallels to Prince Zuko if you look at Zuko at the beginning and look at um, Ray's in the beginning yeah. they are very similar Absolutely. people yeah, I, while I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there is a character arc I will I will say without spoiling anything further say that it's the internal struggle that really makes you interested in mm. those two characters both yeah both of them uh, are the two that develop the most over their respective series Interestingly, Aya is voiced by Grey Delisle. Who I voiced, know, I was right. Azula. <laughs> who, voiced, Azula. who voiced Azula, the uh, sister of Zuko in, in Avatar. There are, Kevin Michael Richardson voices uh, Kilowog. I, you know, immediately um, loved the representation of his character in this. I think possibly just because of having watched Emerald Knights, um, seeing his origin and where he basically started out as this green new recruit being bullied by his drill sergeant, who showed him by the end of that particular story that it is very important to to be able to maintain a certain amount of stern um, authority over the uh, the troops. It showed that there is actually a sensitive side to Kilowog, and he doesn't just smash things with Harry. I'd actually call him uh, uh, more like Ben Grimm, the uh, the thing. But yeah, he, Kilowog has a cool fatherly quality to mm. him. He's got a very protective nature, and as much as he... And, and when you read in in the comic books or anything like that, you see him interacting with the rookies or even a little bit in Emerald Knights. Poosers. Um, Poosers. Uh, that you see his his interest is to train them to so that they can be the best they can be mm. so that he doesn't have to lose them. Engine room's this way. This way. That's the main power line. As if you know how a cargo ship works. It's not some Red Lantern death ride made out of lead foil and scrap wire. And stay in front of me. How's that phony ring holding up? Without a Red Lantern battery, eventually its charge will die. <laughs> Sooner the better. But for now, as long as I feel rage, it's as strong as yours. is falling to pieces, and I'm sick of your self-righteous brain, you fat greeno! You can stop that now, or I'm turning the ship right around. Isn't that exactly what we're trying to do? Try something like that again, 
and I'm blowing my ring charge on you. Alex can probably answer this one. How come they can just fly around in space and not need air? Oh, that's uh, part of the ring. Oh, uh, really? The, okay, so yeah. ring. it's an automated system. Oh, yeah, right. the, um, it, it has a, a an inherent protection system that it does. Uh, there's almost like a spidey sense kind of a thing that happens as well as the, a ring can usually alert you if there's some danger inherent. Yeah. Uh, but it will all the rings allow flight and uh, translation and mm. translation and essentially atmosphere. So and wherever you are and coverage, yes, it's very important if you want it. <laughs> if you want it. I also have psychic powers, but better than Kyle's. <laughs> like yeah, but the ring can do whatever it needs to do. Especially you know over the years, it tends to do more and more. Well, isn't there one? There's one episode where yeah, I know exactly. The rings are running out of charge, and so they're faced with a very real danger of um, running out of oxygen on a methane-rich planet. Because if yeah. their ring runs out of power, then the green shield around them will, or red shield or whatever will will disappear, and then they're stuffed. And as Hal and uh, Kilowog's um, uh, power runs out, they then can't understand each other. Uh, yeah. So uh, they have to depend on Razor to keep them alive, and they're sort of running around the place with him, you know, sort of keeping them in a bubble. And uh, yeah, that's that's a great kind of um, buddy movie type uh, episode with some, uh, some great little comedy moments. What did you just say? I've heard Kugirahuf was so offended. Your rings have no power. Your translators are offline. Then how come I can understand you? The same reason you're still breathing, but I don't have much power left either, so I suggest we find a way inside that dome. So, Kilowak, is that formal wear or just sent me through together? Well, Turkey Hanaseka? He said he likes your outfit. That's our ticket inside. When it passes us, we need to slip under the last vehicle. Cars, cars, cars. The car power would not like perfume I suppose Fashion Plate here has a better idea. He says that's our ticket inside. When it passes us, we need to slip under the last vehicle. Oh, okay. Good plan. And it's really funny as well. I don't you know, it is. I haven't mentioned it's really emotional, but it's really funny. It's in the same way as uh, Avatar will really make you laugh. There's, there's a lot of neat scripted moments which uh, just so that they banter back and forth. Oh, uh, nope, the bit that got me with that one was where um, uh, Kilowog's rattling on in, in something that you don't understand any of. And then he says, Pooza, and it's like, yep, yeah, we know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've also got Laughleys down here as a character. Like I said, he's this this golem type uh, character. He's only in this one episode where they come across the orange lantern, and Hal suddenly gets gripped by the desire to get to get hold of it. When he thanks them, he goes to get them a gift. He goes through his treasure box. And he's, lo- he's rifling through it, and he's sort of and going, "No, no, can't smaller, find anything things. small enough." And then he stops and turns and looks at them, and then he picks one of the flies that flies around his head all the time because he's disgusting, and sort of offers it to them in a kind of, eh, maybe? And then he goes, no, I give you my thanks. And it's like, that's, that is literally all he can give. And he is gripped by selfishness you cannot possibly believe. And it's so pitiful to watch him do it doing that bit. Yeah. I immediately thought uh, Gollum. I mean, yeah. Yeah. the first to the, the orange lantern is shiny, which is obviously very, you know, basically yeah. is precious. And it's the way he curls up way. around it, and he's almost uh, sort of cooing to it, yeah. um, pruning to it, and um, yeah, very, very Gollum. I think that was very deliberately um, 
a golem-like appearance. Yeah, the, the way it was animated was deliberately done that way. Yeah. And I'm presuming that the reason that he is the only orange lantern, effectively, is because uh, he won't allow any of the other rings to leave. Yeah. The, or, more the specifically, he won't allow all you. The, all the orange lanterns killed each other for possession of the orange mm-hmm. lantern battery. Now, because... That's really that's his, his actual... He's millions of years old. Really? And... If you look up his Wikipedia page, you see how bad his life got to oh, yeah. where he got. The I mean, it's in- gave to Laughley's unnatural long life. <laughs> there, in the darkness and in his cave, it consumed him. <laughs> in the glow of his orange light, consumed him. Um, look up Agent Orange. I mean, very, I, you know, Laughley's enjoy entertains me. I he is very pathetic and. There's a lot that can be done with that, and just in his part in the War of Light, I really loved the the whole dip into avarice and greed, yeah. and what that represented during the comic series. Oh man, good stuff. Uh, there's a character of Saint Walker who turns up here as well, who is uh, key. I screamed when he showed up. Yeah. So did I. So <laughs> Again, it seems like kind of a Mass Effect-y type character. He is uh, one of the uh, core Blue Lanterns. In fact, I believe he is the first Blue Lantern in this. Yep. Um, that's not spoiling too much. We have to talk about the Blue Lanterns. A graveyard of space wrecks. Vrache pirate ships. Warships of the Cardonian Horde. Yes, and those are space clippers of the Tarconi Marauders. Who are you? One of the castaways? Those over there are caddy slavers from Gur. Quite the collection. All of them seriously bad people who have done seriously bad things. Tell me who you are, or so help me. The path they walked led to their doom. It is the same path you travel now. I am Saint Walker, and you are? About to kick your smug rear. That is not a very pleasant name. Not in the least. You got a problem with me. Do you have a problem with you? I only have one problem, but it's a problem I intend to correct. It would appear that Blue Lantern's Hope can't do anything and in and of itself, but they can boost the hell out of the other ones. Now, can they create constructs? They can only create a construct when there is a Green Lantern around, ah, because all, yeah. Hope is nothing without the will to use the Hope. Nice. The best way I can describe um, the, the Blue Lanterns is uh, hippies or um, airbenders or <laughs> monks, Shaolin or Tibetan, whichever you wish. Very, very peaceful and very... Uh, um, it's very a, a, a lot of, sort of Buddhist yeah. um, themes to them, the way, just the way they exist and the way they, mm. they um, uh, interact with, with the universe around them is, is, yeah. Yeah, is very much that sort of Buddhist do-no-harm. I mean, the first time you're introduced to him, you get that very much, like, float, floats on the clouds sort of thing. He's yeah. weightless. He did. He, oh, gosh. Yeah. Very much like Ang. Yeah. It looked, you know, when um, that that first confrontation that Razor had with, with him, it was like watching Uma Thurman try to hit Pi Mei in <laughs> nice. Kill Bill 2. <laughs> yes. My, my favorite stops. blue lantern is probably my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she is, is that like embodiment of hope in our home. Like, just like her thing is, eh, everything, it'll be fine. That's her like outlook on everything is, it'll work out and it'll be, it'll be cool. And she's really good at kind of affecting me, who is the Green Lantern of the home, who's like, let's go do this. And she can 
really direct my let's go do this energy in a positive light rather than because I'll sit around and worry about stuff if uh, if she lets me. But uh, eventually, if she ever if she ever sucks it up and goes for it, we're gonna have similar tattoos. Uh, I already have a Green Lantern uh, emblem on my shoulder. Oh man! She, she really wants to get a little blue, uh, just a very tiny Blue Lantern emblem in the middle of the word hope. She wants to replace the O with the with the uh, emblem. That sounds awesome, Alex. I kind of yes. want to give you a final note on why you love Green Lantern because. You, you you made yourself a Green Lantern car. I did. You know, and I, yeah. I've been scouring for a picture of that to share with you guys. I can't find one anywhere. How about your uh, your tattoo? Can you send us one of them? I, I can do that. Just use your iPhone right now. Tattoo. I absolutely <laughs> am going to do that. Photograph yourself and send it on. And just explain to the people at home why this resonates so much with you. Why you would adorn your body with it in a way that I've been considering getting the, the earth, fire, water, air um, symbols from Avatar put Ooh, on my wrist. My next one is going to be a Star Wars tattoo, but the Green Lantern... Let me... Because I can't get a good angle on this one. Wife! <laughs> you just came home. Honey! Photograph me! I need a picture! Reason... The main thing I love about the Green Lantern is the idea of spreading the spreading light throughout the galaxy and, and ideally that light in this universe is about peace and justice and 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 right uh against the the darkness of what's what's wrong in there um sometimes the light is just lasers taking down bad guys but that's like peace and justice um it's it's just it's rich and it's deep and i mentioned you know and we mentioned earlier that it's this good mix of star wars sci-fi fun with like enough backstory that feels like Lord of the Rings and I don't know the depth is there that I just it grabs me and it just it just held on to me so well and it wasn't even because oh I found Green Lantern and just went for it it was an accident how I got into it I um, I just like superheroes and one of my friends was into racing stripes on his car and so we we were trying to put some stripes on my car and it happened to be green at the time. So I was like, uh, Green Lantern's a superhero. Let's do, let's do Green Lantern. And then I started reading the comics and then it was more of a connection there and eventually got the tattoo, uh, saved it. I got the black light ink done on there too. So ah, it, nice. it, it glows under black light and it makes me happy. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. That's my car. I was just about to say, <laughs> what are the odds that this is your car and somebody just posted it? Where did you find that? I typed in four Taurus Green Lantern. There can't be that <laughs> many of them. That's fantastic <laughs> and a little creepy. <laughs> Let us move on now from the vintage 2013 episode of Digital Gonzo. Massive thank you to Jerome McIntosh, Matt Ramsey, and Alex Eading for your fantastic guesting duties. From this point onwards, it is full spoilers for Green Lantern, the animated series, between myself, Sharon, and Toby Jungius in 2023.
All the way back in 2013, we began the first of what was supposed to be an ongoing series of shows exploring the members of the Justice League who aren't Superman or Batman. This was in preparation for the eventual Justice League movie, which of course Green Lantern was ironically not part of, unless you count that little, oh my god, that's Green Lantern, Mom, did you see him? And now he's gone. <laughs> we eventually covered Wonder Woman in 2017, circa her own movie, and The Flash only just this year. It's been 10 years, folks. And at the time of recording, having started during lockdown, we have finally reached the end of our DC Animated Universe full watch-through from Batman the Animated Series right the way to Justice League Unlimited. And those two episodes are coming soon, but I wanted to do this first. But since Bruce Timm godfathered this show, and the character design, especially of Hal, while in pretty 3D animation, fits with the long-established DCEU model, plus the insane quality of the Green Lantern series itself, and its The Animated Series subtitle, I absolutely consider this to be part of that world, and more than worthy of being mentioned in the same breath as those greats. Before you start messaging me, yes I know that some references to this do show up in later seasons of Young Justice. We have yet to see them. I'm looking forward to it. Green Lantern was headed up by Giancarlo Volpe of The Last Airbender and later The Dragon Prince. So some of the greatest animated shows of all time. And it was directed by Sam Liu, who went on to work on most of the DC animated movies, several of which are far better than some of the live-action films that DC Warner Brothers have trotted out over the past 10 years. So after wanting to do this for a decade, we finally return to Green Lantern, this time with one of our DCEU running mates, Toby Skills Jungius. Hello, Toby. If we do explode, you two are acceptable souls to be vaporized with. <laughs> so, Toby, Sharon, let's talk about our favorite episodes with full spoilers in the 2020s. Starting with, Sharon, you picked episode three, Razor's Edge, and episode six, Lost Planet. So go ahead, what happens in these, and why are they of note? Okay, so episode three is entitled Razor's Edge. Failing to convince Razor to join their cause, Hal and Kilowog bring him to the Spider Guild prison, run by Warden Myglom. While leaving, they catch an escapee named Goggin in their ship. They learn from him that the Guild tortures its prisoners and decide to investigate. The Guild later notices them and quickly subdues them after their rings stop working due to a mysterious yellow crystal placed around the prison. Meanwhile, Razor gets put in a device that endlessly replays his worst memory, the death of his wife, Ilana. Aya electronically leaves the Interceptor, convinces Razor to help Hal and Kilowog and frees him. Razor saves the Lanterns and together they defeat the Guild. Hal assigns Goggin to temporarily run the prison while the Guardians send a new Warden. He then announces that Razor will be coming with them and gives him his ring back. Okay, so Goggin is a little tentacle dude, played by Rob Paulson. Yep, he is so cute. Yeah. Uh, and he's got, like, <laughs> one tooth, making yes. him all the more endearing. Mm -hmm. uh, for folks who haven't yet seen it, Razor is a red lantern. He wanted to be executed by Hal after helping to destroy an entire planet to atone for his sins. But that's not what he's asking for. He wants punishment and also swift 
executioner punishment, mm. which takes him out of the picture. What he wants is to be freed from having to think about it anymore. Actual mm. atonement requires you to think about what you've done. Yeah. Self-flagellation is something that feels adept to like an apt description of how he treats himself because mm. there are multiple instances throughout the show where he puts himself in a place that hurts him and asks to be condemned. Yeah, the, the energy that drives the Red Lanterns as opposed to the, the will that the Green Lanterns operate on is anger. And Razor specifically is driven by... Uh, a, a rage that he carries within him. Now, the, the way his name is spelt is Razor with an E rather than Razor with an O. Razor implying one who burns things. And ultimately, what Razor burns is himself. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of this turned inwards. And he could come off like Mr. Furious. Like, you know, oh, my rage is the one thing powering my boundless power. And yet he doesn't. I, I, I get a combination of anger and sadness radiating off him. The sadness holding him still, the anger propelling him forwards. Yeah. But one of the things that I really like about this episode is that this is where we get some detail about where that rage originates, which is in the death of his wife. And my dead family. But again, he could have it, been so tiresome, he could. but he barely ever mentions. He never mentions it, but the way it's framed here, the the setup that the guild put him in, whereby he has to relive this moment over and over again, they think that this is torture for him. But the way it comes across is that for him, this is only Tuesday. He plays this memory over and over again for himself anyway. And mm. that in part, one of the reasons he is unwilling to let go of the, the memory that hurts him so badly is because that's the last time he saw her and he does not want to let go of the last time he saw her. Anymore but, on Razor's Edge or Razor. Yeah. Uh, if, if either of I'm moving on to Aya next, so if either of you mm. have anything else to say about Razor. Oh, Aya within this, this episode, yeah. who, should, who doesn't yet have a mm. body. Yeah. So yeah, anymore yeah. on Razor Toby. There is a moment in this episode where Aya goes into Razor's dream, his torture, his memories, however you like to describe it, and informs him that the greatest sin that he holds himself accountable for is not what it appeared to be. But at this stage, Razor truly believes that he is responsible for the death of an entire planet's worth of people. And Aya informs him that the colony was able to escape, that there were many innocent lives were saved in spite of the destruction. To me, that doesn't necessarily indicate that there were zero casualties because that was a big planet and it seems unlikely that the entire sentient population was all gathered in that one space. But oh, hang on. You're saying that it's going to be uh, rather difficult to get all of those uh, people off the planet in such a short amount of time. Actually, it's going to be super easy. Belly and inconvenience. Oh, really? Yeah, they all just get on a spaceship. There's only like 12 of them. Yeah. But... The thing I love about how Razor responds to that, and this goes back, there are so many moments where our entire journey through the DCAU played through my head during this, where Razor hears that, and whether 
an entire planet died or no one died, it changes nothing about how he feels because in his heart of hearts, he knows that in that worst moment, he pulled the switch. Mm. He was capable of that and he hates himself for it. It's great having him around because uh, he and Killerwog in particular don't get on really well. You notice <laughs> that uh, Killerwog's eyes are red, which suggests yes. he has a little bit of uh, an anger management issue himself. His eyes have been red for decades before Jeff Johns came along and started uh, turning colours into uh, emotions. But that I love the fact that they have paid attention to that and they made sure that Razor's face and indeed his eyes are blue, the colour of hope. Put a pin in that. Mm-hmm. The voice actor who plays Razor is Jason Spisak. Mm-hmm. Spisak. Uh, he does an excellent job of using his talents, of using his voice to provide the characters he plays with a cutting sharpness and burning intensity that always sounds as if he's ever on the edge of exploding into white-hot fury. In Which again, could have come off as so juvenile. Mm, it doesn't. But- but there's reservation there. It's he's not always at a ten, and that's why the vocal performances in this are excellent because it informs on character. Uh, Spicek also played Spice Rack <laughs> also played uh, Silco in Arcane, mm. and ah. with, mm, and with Razor he incorporates that strength of his, but blends it with uncertainty in himself and the tragic pathos he does become this fantastic addition to the group and the best joke in the entire series comes in i believe it's into the abyss where they are rescuing a set of living cargo from a ship that's being pulled into a black hole or something and at the beginning of the episode you have Kilowog and Razor in the dining room, each having their meals, and they start to argue. And Hal says, you know, in my culture, we shake hands so that we can move past this. Go on, shake hands. And rather than clasp hands, they just raise their fists and shake them at each other like they're <laughs> sort of cursing the existence of the other. It's silent and it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Sharon, you were going to talk about Aya, specifically in her earlier stage. Yeah, so Aya is the a- <clears throat> the AI of the interceptor ship, which the lanterns were given by the Owen Guardians to go out and do their space mission stuff. And she's already started to develop a personality and character that they're able to interact with. As you said, she has the voice of Grey Delisle and... Grey Griffin. Grey Griffin. Apologies. I think she goes by both occasionally, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, but she she's only starting to get the idea of what form she might take uh, in this episode. But initially, when she realises that something is is a miss here that they've all left and they're not coming back the only way that she is able to leave the interceptor to try and find them is through the uh, electronic wires in the the guild's prison she can only follow these so far because this is the introduction of the mysterious yellow crystals that the green lanterns are so 
uh, thwarted by. And because Aya is composed almost entirely of green lantern energy, she is especially susceptible to these crystals and can only go so far. And that's why she has to draft in Razor to kind of be her hands in this particular instance. The thing that this sort of really gave me an idea of with Aya is how she's very innocent in terms of she she knows very little about the universe yet and the dangers and threats that it holds but being the the almost living embodiment of the power of will she doesn't hesitate when it comes to leaving her source of security which is the interceptor in order to try and help when help is needed and in a way, it's kind of setting Aya up to be the most Green Lantern, Green Lantern of all of them. Mm. She manifests herself into a Green Lantern through sheer will in the next episode. At the end of this one, she refers to herself as a Green Lantern and she's not contradicted because I think she's addressing Razor at this point. But in Into the Abyss, it concludes with her saying the same thing that she considers herself a green lantern and Kilowog says well that's that's not right and when she doesn't she doesn't just accept that answer she asks well why is that and Kilowog has no answer and amusingly when he asks how for backup how say I'm, I'm not getting in the middle of this I want to see how this plays out mm. because how encourages Aya to push to do what feels right and for Aya it's to question, it's to grow, it's to learn and when all Kilowog can offer is, well, you know, Green Lanterns have to absolutely have a body because that's how they can walk around as he puts it and interact with people and that's all Aya needs to hear and she just says parameters accepted and builds herself uh, a body and it's been noted before this show is so like Mass Effect, this is so like ED and I, I, I love the things that make Aya Aya because I was seeing all of the Mass Effect parallels as we were going in at the start but it becomes its own thing because emotion is such a key part of this that it becomes about identity. It's about how all of these individuals choose to see themselves and what ethos they strive to sculpt themselves towards. Notably, the uh, first few episodes of this uh, were released in November 2011. Mass Effect 3, where Edie first gets herself a body, was March 2012. So if anything, Mass Effect was copying Green Lantern. <laughs> uh. Obviously, Edie had been around uh, in Mass Effect 2. Mm. Yeah, but mm. the, the body that Aya makes for herself is patterned after Ilana, mm -hmm. Razor's deceased wife. And there is conflict that immediately arises over her choosing that particular form. Mm. But her the other thing of note is that the body itself, notwithstanding the armor pieces that she uses, is a ring construct. She can't maintain it when she's not conscious. Mm. Mm. So Sharon, your second choice was Lost Planet, which is another fantastic yes, one. Yes, Lost Planet. Okay, so 
The Interceptor crew follows Shire's Green Lantern ring and reaches Mogo, a mysterious planet that will soon be crushed by an asteroid. While looking for the ring, they meet a group of castaways that are trapped on the planet. Razor also finds a mysterious man named Saint Walker. Yay! They start fighting. Well, Hal uh, lucked out and got a very dodgy Clancy Brown. It's <laughs> like, well, I guess you're definitely not a criminal. Look, what is one of those, Alex? This is one of those animated episodes where it's like, ah, appearances can be deceiving. Except when they totally aren't. (laughs) Look, are you telling me that a character voiced by Clancy Brown in the DC universe is not to be trusted? (laughs) It's possible. I mean, you could just, like, use your goddamn eyes and just see his... He's, like, twirling his moustache when Hal turns up. Ah, splendid. uh, And where's your ship? Can we we see the old ship you got there? (laughs) It is... It is not as bad. Sorry, it's to derail us, Sharon. I will be swift. But it is not as bad as the episode with the spider prison where the spider warden, Mm. you know, his title says, we have an excellent success rate. None of our prisoners return to a life of crime. Well, that sounds good. Honey, they have a really efficient system here. Kilowog literally says... Well, I'm convinced. Shoves Razor and says, like, yep, job's done. Yeah. <laughs> K- Kilowog likes to see everything in very much black and white terms. Like, oh, he's a criminal. I'm a cop. You know, this. Relax, okay? He's going to jail. He is somewhat uninquisitive sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but he does grow and he does yes, start to absolutely. question himself more near yeah. the end. Uh, so Including Razor- in loss. Sorry, go ahead, Shane. Razor and Saint Walker start fighting and Razor is easily defeated. Saint Walker is this really kind of calm, chilled dude. Yes. He's, is he grey at this point? Something like that. He's, uh, he's certainly got blue motifs on his yes. clothing. Yeah. Uh, Walker warns Razor that his rage will be his doom and gives him shy Until rage. you learn to master your rage. My rage will become my master? That's what you were going to say, isn't it? Not necessarily. <laughs> the castaways turn out to be criminals. Surprise, surprise. You don't say. Who corrupt Aya and take over the Interceptor. The crew, with apparent help from the planet itself, retake the ship and prepare to leave before the asteroid hits. Hal, however, realises that the ring has chosen the planet to be a green lantern. He digs a hole into the planet's core and throws the ring into it. A green laser shoots up from the hole and destroys the asteroid. Mogo, the planet, reveals its sentience, thanks the crew, and promises to keep the prisoners contained until they reform. This episode is loosely based on the Alan Moore story, Mogo Doesn't Socialize. So the thing I love about this story is that it expands the concept of what a Green Lantern can be. And this seems to be in direct conversation with the discussion about whether or not Aya can be a Green Lantern. Um, the, the idea that this sentient planet... I love Mogo. I love Mogo so much. Just the idea that you can sit there in space waiting for people to come and land on you so you can help them. I far prefer him, Mogo, to his no-good Nick brother, Ego. (laughs) Well, indeed, Mm. yeah. Um, Well, maybe that's why Mogo doesn't socialise, because the Marvel living planet is a dick. Is a dick, yeah. (laughs) There's only so many people around here that I can talk to. Even when the Silver Surfer turned up on Ego, he was like, No, no, stay, stay! (laughs) (laughs) But we get to explore here the will of a planet... And in particular, in the way this is presented in Alan Moore's story, uh, the thing about a planet is it can wait you out. 
And if you can't leave it, any defeat of the planet is also self-defeat and self-destruction because you are wrecking the very thing that you are standing on. And it seems to me mm. that this would be a particularly important message right now. Mm. What do you think? Is Alan uh, Moore creator of Swamp Thing? Yes. Yes. Good books. I'm reading them right now. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. I am I am a I am a fan of Alan Moore in the conceptual. I find his execution sometimes leaves a little to be desired. But mm. like uh, Lovecraft, writers better able to couch it in terms that we engage with have yes. been able to pick up themes and run with them. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I I like that um, is it Mogo, Mogo or Mugo? Yes. Pray for Mogo. I like that Mogo's will is that he will keep these lost souls here and give them a chance to reform because they feel like they're trapped on that planet, but it's an entire planet. Like you're you're the one prison is as they say in the mind, but in this instance, the will of the planet is its gravity. Of course the planet has an immense will because it is already exerting an immense force that influences the things around it. If, and by Kilowog's own reasoning, if a Green Lantern requires a body, then I'm unclear if celestial bodies can refer to planets or stars, but in whatever instance, this Mogo the planet has a immense force and as you say Sharon an infinite patience mm. yeah. uh, celestial body I believe can refer to anything that goes beyond the pl the planet that we're standing on so it, it can include like small satellites and moons it can re refer to planets it can be uh, stars and, and mm. things bigger than that do we think that this is why Saturn has rings, that it's secretly a Green Lantern as well? <laughs> That's some ring. Maybe. <laughs> okay, so Toby, your first pick was Steam oh, Lantern. Wait, wait. I had a little more to say about Saint Walker. Okay. Just uh, in, yeah, as did. in his Come introduction on. in this I thought you were all go-go with Mogo. No. <laughs> I just wanted That's to, a no -no. Um, to mention that... <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, Princess Carolyn. One of the reasons that I chose this episode was also the fact that it meant I get to introduce Saint Walker because he is one of my favourite characters. I love the expansion of the Green Lantern mythos into the... the spectrum of emotional light and hope is probably my favorite and uh, mm. the uh, what kind of gets brought in here but very lightly and it will be very much developed later on is that hope is a spark in the darkness which like Mogo is another thing that cannot really be defeated all the darkness can do is delay hope eventually it will be the seed that comes back and it occurred to me today that if you combine the blue of hope that you can achieve something with the yellow of fear that you can't you get the green of will that you will nice there's a line that some uh, Saint Walker says in this, which stays with me, which is during uh, Razor's interaction with him, because Razor is getting increasingly infuriated 
and he's he asks Saint Walker, "Do you have a problem with me?" And Saint Walker says something that cuts to his heart, and honestly, I think can cut to many of our hearts, which is, "Do you have a problem with you?" And it's his entire fighting style in this sequence is like water and he essentially is flowing the conversation and Razor's own actions back onto him not as a means of overpowering or defeating him just to try to take that rage and let it vent but channel it in a safe way so that it doesn't hurt anyone least of all Razor himself I love St. Walker. <laughs> yeah. Toby, your first pick was Steam Lantern, where they pitch up on a steampunk Victorian planet in another dimension, which had been previously visited by a lantern that sounds very much like the Golden Age Alan Scott. Now, I mentioned this fleetingly uh, in the uh, show 10 years ago, but please elaborate, because this is also one of my favourites. Yeah, and I hate to, uh, for both of us to be cliches, Alex, but it seems to be that one of our favourite episodes was the steampunk setting in which women are not only highly active, but they are the initiators and Steam Lantern is there to support her rather than to be the person that is achieving everything. These are good <laughs> themes. These are good themes. Uh, I think somewhat... Maybe you should tell 10 years ago, Alex, to maybe run with some of those themes. <laughs> uh, if I could go back in a time machine, I would. Oh my God, is that what I've got to do to make sure this happens? <laughs> no. But back to the episode. There are a couple of episodes of uh, this show that you could argue lift out. And you're acutely aware of each episode and mm. its quote-unquote necessity when you're aware that, oh, we only have 26 episodes, we need to make sure that each one counts. And by the way, this show makes each one count. Mm. How does it do as much as it does in its 26 episodes is literally beyond me. And I've been sitting here all day thinking about this show. So... That's quite a statement. But I think it has one, and you've named it already, uh, episode mm -hmm. where you're like, ah, this one seems a little off, but only because its, uh, it's reckoning is seems flawed when held up against everything else, and that's the one where they first introduced the Star Sapphires. Mm. Uh, I think we actually did mention that back in the, uh, in the day, but yeah, you were angry that they were wearing... The titted costumes and thigh boots, thigh and boots, yeah, boob windows. But yes. I, I was ang irritated because it once again uh, confuses obsession with love. And if anything, mm. the presence of Larflees later on in his own episode—that's obsession right there. That opposes the Star Sapphires. So it, ultimately, love is is way too close to the Indigo Tribe's compassion maybe to the point where they didn't even include the indigo tribes mm. Mm. maybe the implication is again if you if we're talking about combining colors the indigo of compassion with the red of anger hmm. makes the obsessive mm. nature maybe mm. okay so but uh, but yeah uh, steam lantern yeah so steam lantern is one of those episodes that you could argue lifts out even though it is technically saying that the anti-monitor, the big bad, 
seemingly of the second half of the show originates from this universe until we learn later that from one of the guardians who turns out to be scar gives us the backstory of the anti-monitors creation and everything which feels like that's the more pertinent story of where the anti-monitor originates from which is oops all guardian mistakes but uh <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless just like with uh babel the episode later on where they their lanterns run out of power and they're no longer able to communicate and the episode of Laughleys, despite the fact that you could say they don't move the capital P plot forward, they're nevertheless an excuse for really exercising some creativity. And in this one, you have to admire the balls of this creative team to just say, okay, we have 20, we're doing our first season, there's no guarantees of us going beyond, what are we going to do? Steam Lantern. Yep, that's that we've got to do it. And <laughs> in addition to the all of the like poking fun at uh, cliche Britishisms of you know, oh, the universe is ending, we better enjoy a cup of tea and and just endure it with pride and uh, stiff upper lips, whatever. Stiff upper, yes, <laughs> but it manages in addition to that to tell this really well-encapsulated story about a world where its hero has crippling imposter syndrome because he believes that he is not worthy despite the fact that he his actions are what people judge him by and we see that and the villain in, in it or the villain at first is very similar to what Fable 3 does with its story spoilers for a very old game but uh very old that was a 360 game what is time um but (laughs) (laughs) but that game has this whole thing in the first half where you are overthrowing this completely irredeemably evil despot and you think there's no way that they could possibly explain the motivations of this character and then you realize oh crap, they were actually doing these drastic measures in response to this universe-ending threat that was on the horizon. Still not great, but it lends perspective. And what we get here, and I didn't realize it until revisiting the episode today, with the benefit of hindsight to the episode, to the season overall, is foreshadowing to where Aya's character goes because we have a character who gets an army of robotic automatons to enact their will, and by doing self-examination of the harm that they have done, are able to reignite that seed of humanity within them. And, And then by the end of it, you just have this really insane moment where it just seems like there's no way for this planet to be saved because I, I forget what it... I think the Anti-Monitor did something that means that the universe is going to die, but they use various portal and Green Lantern energy shenanigans to whisk an entire planet from its dimension into this one. And the only sad thing about this episode is that we don't get to see any of the Steam Lantern guys show up in the final battle. Mm. 
and but it's it's just marvelous it's so fun it's so the ostentatiousness of the idea yes. of moving an entire planet not just within the uh, its own dimensional space which ironically was going to be back in that jack black planned uh green lantern parody film that they I mentioned this back on the original show, but it just, it baffles me. It was after Batman and Robin, but before Batman Begins, DC were like, what kind of movies can we do? Well, obviously we can't do superheroes straight, so let's do a parody where we go, all superheroes are stupid, aren't they? After the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And it's like, do you really want to cash in those chips now? Or, or maybe do it properly now. Maybe beat Marvel to it. No, no, you're just going to... No, okay, cool. And I think, honestly, the only reason... The main reason that DC didn't get a real foothold before Marvel is because Christopher Nolan was like, yes, no, 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 I don't want any of that at all. And he confused them, and they weren't sure if people could handle two Batmans. Hmm. Oh, Which is probably we, why the Green Lantern film in 2011 feels like it was made in 2001. Hmm. It's... What what works about this show, really, in terms of just your level of engagement with Green Lantern or the DC Universe as a whole, is it simultaneously works so well in isolation, and yet it feels as if it could connect, as you said, to both the... DCAU, there is nothing in it that I can tell that directly contradicts anything that goes on in Justice League or anything like that. There is a brief Hal Jordan appearance in one episode of Justice League, but it is blink and you'll miss it. That's true. And, and that it, doesn't mean do... that that's not this Hal Jordan. Also, mm. the fact that it does in fact tie forwards to Young Justice, and Young Justice definitely isn't the DCAU, suggests that it's actually in that universe. Either way, it'll do. Mm. It's... It's something that sits in itself, but also neatly works in as an accessory to other things. Yeah. And that's quite wonderful because it's... I think that's what a lot of the DC films have been missing. Some of the better ones do tap into that similar effect, which is that if they weren't going to do this coherently planned thing that... Marvel did with the various phases of the MCU, then this loose connection or ability for connection between films was always going to be the better path to take. Mm. But there was always a bit of doubling back or going two steps too far forward to say, nope, they're absolutely all connected or oh, we're just going to do our own thing or ah, we've seen this person in that universe. And it's just... It's, it's a little too literal rather than mm. uh, working on what feels like an unfolding chain. Mm. And ultimately, just focus on making this individual installment the best version of itself that you can, mm. because then things will follow if the emotion and the willingness and the audience engagement is there. Yeah, it's how you start a movement rather than a uh, production line. Mm. Blue Hope is your second choice, and that brings back... Saint Walker. Mm -hmm. I I definitely want to essentially tag Sharon in when I've said my thing about Go this because this is a great exploration of some of the show's best material, specifically the emotional spectrum as well as 
the journeys that our characters go on as they question what drives them, how to best feel their emotive responses to what matters to them. And even the question of identity when viewed through the lens of an artificial intelligence. And one of the, my favorite scenes in the show is Aya drags the half-destroyed corpse of one of the Manhunters, the uh, ancient automaton. Not Manhunters. Yep. Uh, the ancient automatons that the uh, Guardians relied on before the Green Lanterns, and they thought, okay, that one didn't work, so we'll just put that in the pile of this didn't quite work, but hey, you know, if we keep trying, then no one can say we failed. Uh, Will piped <laughs> up, those uh, Manhunters seem very much like space sentinels, mm. and they uh, the sentinels predate the Manhunters by a bit. It's a mm. rare instance of uh, Marvel, Marvel getting, getting there, there first. first with the great yeah. Jack Kirby. And it the whole line that, uh, that all they say is no man escapes the manhunters. No they're man hardly the, the manhunters. They're hardly the most compelling Terminator Sentinel esque set of foes to fight against. Hmm. But it's fortunate that the second half of the season builds on them. In in many ways, the structure of the second season mirrors, of all things, or not mirrors, but has comparisons to the android saga in Dragon Ball Z, because in that one, I am not going to go on a lengthy tangent, <laughs> but the way that one worked out was they had a premise of, okay, we're going to bring back Freezer from the previous arc, and he's the villain, but ah, psyche's he's going to get dealt with very quickly. Now, in a couple of years, some androids are going to show up, and they're really badass. A couple of androids show up, but the editor of Akira Toriyama said, uh, I don't like the designs of these very much. So then he went, okay, let's design, you know, the famous now and iconic Android 18 and Android 17. And those are our bad guys. Yeah. But then the editor was not pleased with that either. So it's like, okay, fine. Here, let me do Cell and him having his voice. So it was always a case of, okay, we know what the threat of this season is, but oh no, there's actually someone else that's even worse. But in this one, it's much more cogent because it feels as if we're building to a singularity of artificial intelligence meeting the will and emotion to grow and learn. And that is why I think it's so good that Aya has blue eyes because in addition to her will driving her to do all of these things to be a Green Lantern, she harbors the hope that she can be, that as an artificial intelligence, she can be everything that is associated with the Green Lantern. That to her, I think Green Lanterns are almost one-to-one -one with the idea of having a soul, of being recognized as such. And the difference between her and the Manhunter that she talks with is that the Manhunters are stasis. They embody stasis. They are monotone. Unchanging in their mm. perspective. No man escapes yeah. the Manhunters. And 
as an aside, as soon as they said that, I was just waiting for it was a say the line, but <laughs> they unfortunately uh, decide to invade the world of the star sapphire. So there's a lot of tough women there. It does feed on uh, into the idea of what constitutes uh, a sentience as opposed to simply an artificial intelligence, because uh, an AI will work towards whatever outcome it has been programmed to work towards and it may well devise some very creative ways of getting there but ultimately its purpose has been pre-programmed by the humans or in this case the owens who created Mm. it the uh the idea of aya eventually becoming truly sentient is that she can change her own intention she can change her own purpose and choose her own purpose Mm. Because at the end of the line that characters and fictional entities like the Manhunters or Brainiac are walking is a full stop. Mm. And at this point, that's not what Aya wants. Yes, indeed. And then we ask ourselves why it is that robots and AI always seem to wind up around the want to kill all humans. Uh, It's because generally that's what we've designed them to do. Mm. Mm. And they're copying us. (laughs) <laughs> I learned it from watching you. Yeah. Dad. <laughs> you know what? Maybe just let the robots have this one. Like, <laughs> they may do a better job. This uh, <laughs> feeds into uh, uh, the uh, last three episodes we're going to be talking about. Uh, any more on Blue Hope and St. Walker before we go? This one introduces at least one other character who is attempting to who has become a blue lantern because saint walker is the first one and the journey he takes to become a blue lantern i adore it the idea that he speaks with mogo and he asks if there is one who can like is there someone who can provide hope and mogo leads him to climb a mountain and at the top of the mountain there is nothing but a desolate plain of cloud, and there is no one except himself, except for St. Walker. And St. Walker interprets that as, so you're telling me that there is no hope. Well, I reject that. As long as I'm breathing, I will hope. And all it does is just link St. Walker with another Volpe and Avatar The Last Airbender connection of Uncle Iroh, which is Mm. in the darkest of times, hope is something that you give yourself. And it is in that moment where he receives the Blue Lantern Ring and he essentially establishes a new core. And we're introduced to Brother Wolf, who is this elephant alien and he's voiced by Brian George, who voiced Guru Patik in Avatar The Last Airbender. Ah, nice. that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Sharon, please go into Blue Lanterns and Saint Walker and everything. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know that I can sum him up any better than we already have. He mm. is... He is meditation personified for me because ultimately what he provides Razor with is not 
exactly healing. It is the means to heal himself. And that involves observing what happens within him when he's angry, when he's calm, when something else happens. Is all this idea of giving himself the space to work out what's really going on. And once he's figured all of that out, hope is kind of the energy that's left. Because it, it keys back to a very, very old phrase, where there's life, there's hope. And that, when, when uh, St. Walker goes up the, the mountain as well, hope is there because he's there. He brought mm-hmm. it with him. And that all of these emotional spectrum energies are things that living creatures carry within them. Ultimately, what we do come back to occasionally in this is anybody could be a red lantern, anybody could be a blue lantern, anybody could be a green lantern or an orange lantern. We all have those potentials inside us. Mm. What matters is which ones we decide to externalize and act upon and and allow to and allow to yeah allow to that we feed and allow to be the the fundamental element of how we show ourselves to the world yeah that's why i like that howl's eyes because he's always wearing uh his superhero mask which all of the other lanterns rip him for it's like what do you think someone's going to recognize you in space Mm. uh but he his eyes are always white and to me, that always, as the leader and someone who, in some ways, he lacks as much progression, but there is nevertheless stuff there. It's just that when put into comparison against Razor and Aya, he resembles more of a foundational rock that he can, remains consistent. But nevertheless, as the human perspective on all of this his white eyes show that rather than the red or the blue that there is the capacity for all emotion that he could lean into any of the emotional ranges and we see that when he becomes an orange lantern momentarily when he seizes the uh, lantern from Laughley's and there's a terrific shot where he's gathered a whole bunch of orange lantern rings and he's put them on and wearing them and it does a close-up of his uh, grimacing face with crackling energy uh, around him as you see his fingers all adorned with rings that is because this show just knows its history with the series and encapsulates so much it is a one-to-one of that iconic panel slash cover of how Jordan, when he became evil Parallax and he was wearing all those rings and you can visualize it in your mind's eye as I describe it. But it is that ability that we are never condemned to just one thing. Razor has started as a Red Lantern, but that has allowed him to associate with Green Lanterns, to to chase it after and pursue an ethos of hope it's what makes this set of vague emotion not even vague but emotional uh, rules and logic 
almost a bit more versatile, well, not even almost, but quite a bit more versatile than how the Force has been treated in a lot of Star Wars fiction, because a lot of the time people see it as binary, and that's not always the case in quite a bit of very fiction that really examines it, but here we see that it is an ever-changing light. Okay, so the final episodes of uh, the season, it's just one big 26 episode season, which uh, originally was sold on DVD and now has been available for quite a while as a really good Blu-ray set. And I believe this should, I mean, <laughs> I was gonna say it should be available on HBO Max. Oh no, it's not called HBO Max anymore. It's just Max. And But by the time this goes out, it'll probably be called something else. Wherever the Warner Brothers list of cartoons is... I'll be there. Green Lantern <laughs> deserves to be right there up the very top, along with Justice League Unlimited, Batman the Animated Series, and Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a two-part episode uh, called Loss and Cold Fury at 19 and 20. So there's a midpoint where it's like, oh my god, Oa is under attack by the Manhunters. Who will hold off this? Oh, no, actually, not even the Manhunters, the the, the Red uh, Lanterns. And it ends up becoming a, uh, a negotiation. And eventually they, they, they've got to give the Red Lanterns a little bit of um, uh, leeway and actually take some culpability for the things that the Green Lantern Corps have done. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I have subsequently, having um, waited and waited and waited for Lantern to come back into the uh, movies, thought of multiple ways to do a really good Green Lantern story if we were going to relaunch it. And I'll see if I can add something on to this episode here. But a lot of it would be, let's look at the fact that this is a space police force. Start with Jon Stewart and then just sort of work from there. But uh, Loss brings the anti-monitor into the story and this is one of those villains who's effectively Galactus but not even as as fascinating as not even as fascinating as one of the greatest comic book villains of all time uh, antagonists of all time okay this this guy's more of a kind of robotic I am the alpha and the omega I am the end but like he doesn't even talk all that much he's he just, definitely lacks Galactus's personality he's a big robot floating through space and just eating worlds hmm but here's the thing they managed to make this power set so much more horrifying when uh, Aya intervenes to take out uh, the anti-monitor there's this really stirring shot where the lanterns are observing from what is supposed to be a safe distance and i've just just got to add by the way this is a very pretty show you know for 3d uh computer Mm. uh animation after a decade or so of that being really ropey if you go back to say jimmy neutron boy genius or beast wars some of these had great storylines but my or reboot but my god Mm. the animation (laughs) And Green Lantern holds up. It's got some nice texture to it. Uh, it, it, it certainly doesn't look as, as uh, fantastic as, say, Spider-Verse or Arcane, but uh, it has its own feel to it. But there's particular 
attention paid whenever the anti-monitor's on screen because they're in space and so the easiest possible flub to make is that your big robot actually looks like an action figure because regarding perspective it, it, it could just be about the size of an action figure to a child watching from the sofa. So they do things with perspective and what else is on screen and just things going around the anti-monitor and cameras and the the angles they shoot it at, which, and I'd probably have to study it and point things out to you in a visual way to illustrate how they do this so well, but they make it feel, of all things, like the box art for old Transformers toys, which continuously pitch these robots against each other in space in a way that didn't often happen in the uh, cartoon, mm. but looked like these massive epic battles. Mm. So... While he's in space, not being a big cloud like the Ryan Reynolds movie, uh, which, uh, thank goodness, Parallax did not make his way into this movie, uh, this this uh, TV show, because the fact that he seems to exist there just as a sort of a, a get-out clause for someone to do something incredibly evil and for them to just go, ah, it's okay, he was possessed all the time. It's kind of mind control, if you will. Aya asks Razor how he really feels about her and it comes at a uh, time of particular emotional peak for him and he assures her he doesn't love her and he's lying. Aya hurts as a result of this and then decides to take on the anti-monitor and to do so she in her mind in her uh, AI uh, programming turns off her her emotional uh, effectively her learning center and just goes on what she perceives as pure logic without emotion. And she just busts right through his chest, knocking his entire head off, thus the anti-monitor's dealt with. But then Aya takes control, and suddenly you have a heel turn for this wonderfully sweet, naive, innocent, but learning, kind of childlike, but at the same time, forthright and and you know assertive about what she wants to learn and wanting to be more like biological beings uh, an inquisitive experience gathering organism which has been hurt just now by a callous boy and her decision is i don't want to feel anything i'm just going to be coldly logical and then she falls into the trap of believing that what she's doing is logical when what she's actually doing is motivated by pain, by hurt. Mm -hmm. she, she's lying to herself about the logic. This is actually a theme that I, uh, I put into uh, at least one of uh, my books where uh, I was leveraging the brain against the heart and do we make an emotional decision about this or do we do what's rational and practical and the person who is representative of heart in this says you are telling yourself you're doing this out of mathematical calculation but there are emotions mixed in with your decision making which is why Aya becomes one of the most tragic and terrifying villains of all time because you absolutely don't want her to take one more space step 
with this mindset. You want everyone to try to intervene and try to bring her back. And it pushes towards the end of the series from 19 through 26 with this long, baleful kind of traveling through space. And I am going to, in fact, end the universe by going back to the beginning. And I don't know if you folks spotted the hand at the very beginning. This must come from a comic was in Justice League Unlimited. It was the when the guy who messes around with time travel tries to go back to the beginning of time. I think uh, uh, the, uh, would be the once and future thing era, sort of the what they thought was going to be the end of the Justice League before their final season, um, the one where they eventually pitch up in the future and get to have a Batman Beyond uh, guest spot. But when it's on screen that they're trying to go back to the past and the very beginning of all time there's this giant hand closing around the universe what are, what are we looking at here? Ah. this is a nebula called the pillars of creation and it effectively looks like Buddha's a hand? huge hand mm. the fingers of which are holding the galaxy the universe wow <sighs> so yeah, her decision is, I'm going to go back and remake the universe without emotion. And it's never said out loud, but her decision here is so that she, well, in her eyes, will never have existed. But she doesn't want to feel this pain, this sense mm. of having something and then losing something, and that dreadful absence. So in her relatively new, but at the same time very clever, but at the same time self-defeating, perception she's trying to undo pain in general this kind of personal level of pain so that the universe will only be logical and cold almost like those dudes who uh, try to outthink the movies and and insert cold hard logic into those films about human frailty see here's the thing problem about, solving if you will here's the thing about humans um we're made of rather a lot of meat and mm. that meat You'd is operated. You'd say that meat bag. That meat is operated <laughs> by rather a lot of chemicals, and what we call emotions are these chemicals pulling the strings of the meat in one direction or the other. If you really want to get this down to brass, this is gross. <laughs> I'm going what, somewhere with which this. Which lantern core is this? Pull on my meat strings. <laughs> <laughs> if we want to act without emotion. We literally can't because emotions are the things that cause us to act. If we truly want to be without emotion, what we are going to do is sit still for the rest of eternity and do nothing. The closest we can get is to come at things from a place of calm where we can feel in touch with and listen to all of our emotional states and then make a conscious decision about which one or ones we would like to follow. If you're coming at something where you have deliberately shut off certain parts of your emotional spectrum, you really are acting entirely through emotion because you're refusing to let yourself feel the other ones. Mm. It is fear. Fear is driving it because you you are afraid to continue to experience this thing. And this entire arc of the show is about two people who are afraid to feel pain, who end up hurting one another. Because Razor says that he does not love Aya 
after he had more or less confessed his love to her in the previous episode, when it appeared as if she was going to die and she was blasted by the anti-monitor and disintegrate her projection of herself dissipates and the different parts of the ring constructs that make up her body float away in space and she manages to come back by hijacking a anti and a manhunter body that was floating nearby and at that point razor has experienced the pain of losing someone that he knows in his heart he loved and that's happened to him for the second time after losing his wife all those years ago that he has stayed in and i said earlier that razor is someone who pursues self-flagellation and at the start of the cold fury he erupts at hal and says tell me just say it say it once that it's my fault and it sounds as if he's lashing out at hal for assuming that but it to me comes across as if he's asking hal to tell him that it is actually his fault and i'm not even sure that i can process why but he knows what that is and now that i am well if anything uh my guess would be if he can at least admit that this is his fault Maybe the person telling him it's his fault can then tell him what to do because mm. he's going on nothing but anger and mm. doesn't know what to do until eventually his heart does tell him. Mm. Yeah. There's also the fact that self-blame is quite effective at keeping the, the real depth of loss away. It allows you to maintain an anger state rather than a, a loss state. Mm. And... Ultimately, if that self-blame is starting to fade around the edges, he needs someone else to back it up. Yeah. Does this sound familiar, by the way? <laughs> a young, confused person wants to be told, stop, or this is your fault, and then, okay, you tell me what to do, and put, does a performative cry for help, maybe destroys a whole load of uninhabited planets. Aya herself is very keen on telling the other Green Lanterns she's doing this out of logic, but she goes out of her way to leave them alive. She goes out of her way to uh, make sure that she doesn't actually perform any genuine atrocities. She wants someone to stop her and give her perspective, because as far as she's concerned, I have engaged zero emotions, and my perspective is emotions are bullshit. But she's learning from Razor. Yeah. She has observed and is now unconsciously mimicking his approach to things. And Hal admits culpability for this, and effectively he was duty adult at this point. He had two angry, confused teenagers at his, uh, under his protection and guidance, and he let this happen. So he's kind of the proto-uncle pair. Well, these two fun uncles... Uh, trying to get these two kids back and back my two space. Green Lantern dads. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very much uh, that. Like the the he and uh, Kilo will go together extremely well. There's very much the story of these two kids. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet if they both had astonishing power and did things they regret. Mm. The regret concept being 
very key to this finale. And the families that are trying to keep them apart are their own internal constructs. Mm. Mm. See, when uh, Aya gets to the beginning of the universe and Hal follows her in, he uh, tries to convey to her that she hasn't done terrible things. And there's a kind of hand-wavy... And at the same time, they were going for something, but that something has implications. They meet a mad scientist, again, uh, who tells uh, them about the creation of the AI program that was put in this concept ship. This mad scientist woman took a sliver of the creature that lives inside the giant green lantern that powers Oa, this space whale named... Is it Aya or something like that? I keep looking for the name of it, and it won't tell me. It's something like Ayano or something. Um, she doesn't say its name, but there is a whale in the center of the Green Lantern thing. Anyway, she takes some of its, I don't know, precious ambergris, puts it into Aya, and as a result, Hal says, Hal's Hal, huh, trying to talk to this computer and talk the computer down off the edge, uh, says to her, you have a some living biology in you, you aren't doing this without emotions, you, you're one of us. And Chris quite rightly pointed out that this reinforces a whole machines bad, living things good mm-hmm. uh, mentality to the show, which is oversimplifying, but at the same time they don't challenge it by any means. And it's almost a little bit of special blood as well. Mm-hmm. Like Rather than she is as with so many instances, a machine that is capable of sentient thought in so many sci-fis where they explore this, they go, yeah, but she's only really sentient because there's some, you know, special human blood in there or mammalian whale blood in there. So do you think that the Green Lanterns have someone on staff who has to Feeds examine the whale? Sure, well, no, has to make sure that the whale inside is like, you know, all healthy and everything. It's like, yeah, yeah, you've asked the right person. I'm a whale biologist. <laughs> I hate whales. It's Your movie was garbage. <laughs> whale biologist. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. And I think yes. Parallax was the creature that lived inside the uh, Yellow Lantern and uh, was the uh, that was the sum repository of all the fear in the entire universe, all in one place. And, and obviously the one in Oa is the sum totality of all the will. But will is neither positive nor negative, it's Wait, the user. Is it a whale because whale sounds like will? Yes. It's, <laughs> it's a... I used the P word about this ending, but uh, what Chris said about the whole robot's bad, uh, m- mammal's good, did alert me to the fact that it, the P word does not apply here. Yes? Is there a mammal in Mogo? It is very much a living planet. I don't think it said necessarily, like, living things good, robot things dead and bad. I gotcha. Okay. The, what I appreciate, though, is that while I absolutely agree with what Chris presents there, that this feels like a blunt ending or point to say that, and Aya is alive and has a soul because, hey, she had this special ingredient, like, you know, the Powerpuff Girls. Dunker, dunker, ingredient. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Keep going. While it introduces this thing that could f- feel as if, oh, this will be the thing that solves all of the problems, it doesn't. Because when Ira is presented with that, she maintains her course. She says, fine, if all living life 
ends and I am alive, then that means I will end too. That's fine. Yeah. It's not enough for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's not enough for it to change her mind and go, oh, so I'm alive. Well, that changes everything. And what it is, is that the circle completes. That is what ends it because Razor, out of self-preservation and wanting to not feel pain, ends up hurting someone he cares about. And Aya does the same thing out of a desire to preserve herself and not like feel pain. She inflicts pain on Razor and that is what what she recognizes and that snaps her out of it. It is the word regret that Hal says and that is his answer when Aya asks what will be the last emotion that the universe witnesses. You think that it's going to be regret because Razor is motioning to strike at Aya with his with a dagger made from as a construct out of his red energy. But when he hesitates because he can't do it and Aya turns around and blasts him in self-defense, she immediately regrets it. It's the cycle coming full circle and that is what concludes it. It's not the special blood, it's the connections that you make that saves the day. Yeah. (sighs) And to... uh make amends to actually atone for what uh, she's done and the uh, danger she's put the entire uh, system into. Uh, Aya, on realising that she's programmed the entire Manhunter squad with a bunch of now disconnected Aya programs, releases a virus that will kill all of them, including her, meaning she has to die to protect all of us. Which leaves Razor incredibly sad, but... This is a power of three moment. After he lost his wife, he was filled with guilt and sadness and anger, and then he used the anger to keep himself moving forwards. After he told Aya he didn't love her, which turned out to be not true at all, uh, she switched herself off from emotion entirely, or at least told herself she was doing that and behaved entirely logically. And how many of us haven't tried to do that and gone, right, well, fine, brilliant. I'll just do the practical thing at this point and really we're acting on our own pain. A lot of us went into survival mode during the pandemic, and many of us still are. It's taken a lot of time and, yes, willpower to lift ourselves back out. She tells him that she'll always be watching over him, which sounds like a cliche, but he asks how she can possibly know that as her consciousness disappears, and she says she doesn't know, it's just a feeling. And that feeling is the part of her that is the soul. It's faith. It's hope. It's love. And rather than being just sad or just angry, Razor decides to act upon this hope go out into the universe to find her but he's a transformed character here and it's not a like suddenly he bears no resemblance to the guy we've seen before the performance is nuanced enough over the 26 episodes that clearly the actor Spice Rack knew what he was doing on the way to the completion of this arc 
And this time watching it, now 11 years after this show began and ended after dismal toy sales, I was actually glad that it ended there. Because him going off on a note of hope and a blue ring chasing after him just gives us that completion which so few other shows get to make. Now, if you actually complete something really well, that's just the precursor to a continuation. Mm. Like, if, like That was a really good ending, so when's the next one? It's, that's... It's not right that cancellation should be how things end, because most shows don't. They, they just, they, they were just finding their feet, because season one is where you kind of work out what the hell your show's about and how it's going to be about itself. Much like I, uh, you know, back in 2013, I was like, and Firefly, you wish there'd been more. I'm now really glad that there wasn't several more seasons of Firefly so that it could get really dismal and make some very misjudged episodes regarding its uh, very shaky parallels between the Union and Confederate armies in the future. Uh, so, honestly, I've got to keep coming back to that vision quote. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. This show should be something that, on the surface of it, on all of the things that you would hear about it when you haven't experienced it yourself it should be something that is lost that it is something that has faded into obscurity as just one sand among an infinite beach of properties and shows that vie for attention in the spotlight and then after its time is done gets it disappears and yet, visiting it 10 years, 11 years after it aired, I don't feel that as someone who is looking at so many things that exist now that, as you say, Alex, it is so rare. I can't think of another show like this that accomplishes its mission so wholly within the time it allocates itself mm. as this. I. As we were going through on the Discord, I kept saying, I can't believe where we're at, and we're only eight episodes in, or 13 episodes in, and yeah. it kept feeling as if, surely we're in season two or three of a show. This Maybe I got my wires crossed. Maybe we this is a show that actually did it for multiple seasons, because it's, it's so rare that they hit the ground running knowing exactly what they're doing. And this one did and and it doesn't spend time going over things that you know many other shows would where let's establish everything with green with Hal and the green lanterns and everything like that it doesn't even in its infinite exploration of the entire franchise of green lantern no one mentions yellow lanterns and Sinestro shows up and it's Ron Voiced freaking by Pe Ronnie Perlman. Yeah. And it's it's an episode which leaves it at, yeah, we know where this character is heading, but we're not going to tell that story. Instead we're going to use this moment in the character's life before that to tell a story of 
you know, there's an imposter among us, so let's uh, try to gauge, okay, who is doing it? And his methods indicate a darkness and a cruelty that we don't see the end point of, but we, much like with Razor's quest, we don't need to see that end point because you, a story is, we use the word arc so often, but literally the idea of a something that goes into the air and arcs to form this curvature. This is a show that soars and forms patterns and shapes and then by the time it's done you feel it's complete you feel complete after having seen it and that is a rare experience and one that gives me hope that in spite of all of the things that were mired in in the modern climate of shows that retread old ground that either fade before their time and never got to even tell the first part of a story or go on far too long or just repeat what we've already seen much as I am repeating myself <laughs> this is a show that has a simple but beautiful thing to say and says it and while its time is done it lingers in our minds still and I think that is incredible for a 3D animated show from 11 or 12 years ago. I was there when you first put out that show, and <laughs> I've been aware of this show for a decade, thinking, oh, I really must get to it one of these days. Much so... like so many of our listeners who stopped <laughs> listening around about the halfway point on this one. <laughs> Oh my goodness, so... If let's... you carried on and actually heard how it ended, folks, we really hope you go watch this thing, because it is... Definitely. It is so worth the journey. And I've mm. been, like, I've been... This has been, like, the, the secret uppercut for the end of the DCAU. Like, I've been saying, oh, no, no, we def I definitely want to make sure I show you guys this at the end. But I never said, it's better than all the others. But I genuinely think, in terms of amount of episodes and amount of really great episodes I think this it's it's up there up against I think maybe only Batman the animated series and Justice League Unlimited even come close mm. in terms of how much it made me feel I put together a tier list uh, at one point while we were watching through this and I agree it is the show that manages to surpass some of the all-time greats that we consider all-time greats, but it doesn't necessarily compete with them. Mm. It sits alongside them comfortably and with a surety. I'd say uh, Batman manages to establish a incredible Rosetta Stone for this is actually what Batman should be. Something mm. that creators for, for a many many future years since then have been able to go back to and go how do I do Joker? Oh yeah and and to give us a, a just a, an astonishing stylized eternal baseline for us to be able to get to except for the movies which are like no, no, we don't want anything to do with your cartoons <laughs> except for in the late 90s where they were like remember folks this was a cartoon where they make something that's not like the animated series at all 
and Justice League Unlimited manages to take that, well, how are you going to do an ensemble piece with seven heroes and still make everything coherent? And it goes, seven? How about 27? And somehow manages to make it work over the first two seasons of that, the first 26 episodes also. Absolutely splendid. Mm. And... But, side note... Green Lantern does all this with no pre-established characters. It just goes, right, okay, so these are the characters, and then just runs. As opposed to Batman had so much more time to take up, and it had the Tim Burton movies that were a, pheno a legitimate phenomenon to give folks a kind of, oh, Batman's this. Green Lantern didn't have anything, and it's the fact that the film failed so dismally that left it being cancelled so soon. Mm. So it's more of an achievement. I th I'd say uh, the three are astonishing achievements and that playing favourites at this stage, like you, you win either way, whichever one you run. Yeah. I love spiky, spiteful Tom Kenny uh, ball of fury that is oh, essentially the just... Modoc looking guy? Yeah, he's essentially Spongebob fused with MODOK. Mm. I found the whale, mm -hmm. or at least a whale. A there sexy is a, space whale. There is a Green Lantern in 2029 who is a whale. Ah! Ah! And he keeps his ring attached to his tummy, apparently. Huh. Earlier today I was actually thinking about this because I know that there are several uh, comic stories that I... I'm now inclined to check out this and in that other non-Green Lantern DC characters are interested with rings and I don't know how that plays out necessarily but I was wondering which Lantern Corps Superman would most likely belong to and honestly I think it would be Hope. I think that for him willpower is of course there but I think for Superman, it's not necessarily a question of willpower that drives him. It's hope because he has all the power to enact anything. So it's not that he lacks willpower, but it is the hope that he can inspire, that he can do something that helps people that would be what he would be drawn to. And I like that because with Blue Lantern, so much of it is empowering other people. So it would be the idea of Superman empowering others. It's just delightful to me. So we will be back to conclude the DC Animated Universe Marathon. Until then, I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And in fearful day, in raging night, with strong hearts full, our souls ignite. When all seems lost in the war of light, Look to the stars, for hope burns bright. School of Movies and School of Everything Else are funded by Patreon. 
and our top tier sponsors get a shout out every episode, so thank you to every member of the School of Movies core. And those officers who will receive special commendation are Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandro Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clawson, Joe Gluck, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Sean Doran, Toby Skills Jungius, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Tom Painter, Timu Hellas Hayo, Sarah Montgomery, and Kat Esman. could say the Superman animated series was a slightly different yeah they are just go remember since they've done the new 52 certain things have changed for them true yeah. Wonder Woman has pants now yeah like, that's a thing but it depends on what action figure you buy sometimes she is panted sometimes she is not that's okay. Okay. what you do with the action figure after you get it <laughs> some of them are really nice but I don't think I'd shag an action figure um okay. <laughs> I'm glad you made that clear <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you were recording that. I was. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs>